Oh, here's the title. Listen to this title. You ready? Passover passed over. Right? Luke 22, 14 to 20. A couple things I need to tell you. So you're going to Luke 22, right? Okay, listen to me on this comment. Because as a pastor, I speak to lots and lots of people all the time about Jesus, about the gospel, about the Bible, about the historicity of of Jesus as a historical figure and the Bible being reliable and all of those things. So one of the questions that will come up to the modern contemporary reader, the reader today, the contemporary modern reader, he'll say, you know, you say that this is such a historic thing that's happened on this night he was betrayed, but Luke doesn't seem to write much about it. He doesn't really write much about the Passover, and he doesn't write much about the Lord's Supper. Well, you have to understand the context of that. Luke is writing 30 years, approximately 30 years after the night he was betrayed. So Passover has been abrogated for 30 years. There's no Passover. Now, I understand the Jewish people still celebrate that. But the divinely instituted and ordained Passover that God is over now. This is the last night of the Passover. So we've got 30 years where Passover didn't exist in the minds of God's people. And I'll show you how the day changed as well. But also, 10 years before Luke writes, Paul writes, 1 Corinthians. And what does he write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11? He lays out the entire aspect of the Lord's Supper. So you have Luke who's writing 30 years after, no Passover. He knows Paul has written 10 years before. He doesn't have to give us much information on the Lord's Supper. So we have just what we need, exactly what God wants us to have for us to understand something that has happened. And, and this, is, this is epic, what happens on the night he was betrayed. Okay, you ready? 22 is the chapter, 14 to 20 are the verses here now. The word of God. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Pray with me, won't you? Father, we're here by divine design. No one just showed up. Speak now through this broken vessel. Speak only your word from this pulpit. Nobody came here excited to listen to the imagination of a man, but they hunger and they thirst, and rightfully so, for the revelation of God. Conform us more to the image of Christ today as we leave this place than we were when we walked in. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved. Comfort for those in storm winds and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come now, fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, just one touch on the passage. Take a look at the passage again real quick that we just read. That first verse, 14, it's important that we see this. This is not a conclusion of the preparations that were taking place. 
that we preached about last week. In the original documents, right, there were no chapters, there were no verses, there were no breaks, okay? So we have a break here, and it says, when the hour came, this is now the introduction of this historic, epic event. Something is happening this night that never happened in the history of God's people. 1,500 years of Passover, once a year, in the spring, year after year after year, but on this night, something happens. Something changes. So this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the framework of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus and the apostles are now reclining at the table. Okay? Three headings. Under Passover, passed over. What it was. We, we don't have time to unpack a lot of the Passover, but we'll give you just enough that we need to understand the passage. Okay? Number two. Why it was passed over. Now, now pause. You know today that there are many Jewish people who celebrate Passover. And they celebrated Passover after this night. The next year and the year after, yes? But what have we seen in the scriptures? <clears throat> the temple has been destroyed. Sacrificial system is gone. Records have been obliterated. And Jesus came as the final what? Sacrifice, the true Passover lamb. If God, listen, who ordained the first Passover? Say God. God, who ordains when it stops? God. It's not in the hands of man. God ordained the first one. We'll look at it in a moment. God ordained when it would stop. And God ordained how it would be what? I won't even call it replaced. How it would be fulfilled. Passover was, all Passover was was something. Passover was, was, was a, a memorial that was pointing forward to something that would ultimately happen for God's people. That didn't happen in the first Passover. And we have to understand what that is. So we're going to see why it was passed over. And then finally, we're going to look at this proclamation just so that we can see what's in the passage. And, and then we'll just keep moving week after week through the passage. You ready? Oh, here we go. Going to head out as deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. Ready? Number one. Here we go. We're looking at Passover. That's all. We've got to be brief. What was it? Let's take a look. And he said, I eagerly desired. In the original language, it, I desired to desire. So this is emphatic. He's overwhelmed. He can't wait for this Passover. Why? He knows it's the last one. Now, yes, he knows he's on the front end of his death. And we'll see that in the Garden of Gethsemane when we unpack that. But why does he know that this is just, this is epic? Because true salvation now is coming. This is what every Passover pointed to. This is it. So I, I've desired to desire to eat this before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now here's where we have to slow down so you can, so you don't miss this. Ready? Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, now is there something in your mind that you think he would say? Don't even read it. After the, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he gave the cup to his disciples, said, take this, all of you, and drink it. This is the cup of my, okay, but he doesn't say that. Why? This is the Passover meal. So we have to unpack this. You're going to see that cup later. So we have to slow down, or, or, or it gets confusing. Skeptics try to point to these things and say, see, there's, there's confusion in here. There's, there, there's confusion between the gospel accounts. and the, No, 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 no. Understand what's going on here. He is celebrating the Passover. <clears throat> there are four cups 
involved in Passover. He's celebrating that. So this is, this is one of the cups. Take this and divide it among you. I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Okay. We're going to look at those four cups in a moment. We're going to go back and see what the Exodus was all about. But in, in a statement, it's a memorial of their freedom from slavery in Egypt through the sacrifice of an innocent substitute. You understand? That's what, that's, that's what they were remembering every single year when they celebrated Passover. They remembered their freedom from Egypt that God did on their behalf. And they were protected by the blood of a lamb that was put over the doorpost and the angel of death passed over them. Okay? Whoever the blood was, the angel passed over. But it was pointing to something. So let's take a look. Okay? Exodus 12, 3, 5 to 7, 26 and 27. Tell the whole community of Israel to take a lamb. Remember, you have all of these plagues, nine of them. We come to the tenth one. The firstborn now is going to die. Pharaoh himself has declared what that final plague would actually be. So the firstborn now is going to die. God says, take a lamb. Without defect. We'll get back to that. We've got to catch that later. On the 14th day of the month, we'll talk about 14th day of Nisan in just in a moment. Take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And when your children ask you, part of that Passover ceremony, the children would ask, what does this mean, Father? What does this mean to us? What does the ceremony mean? Tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Okay? So you have the people in bondage, the Israelites in bondage, 430-some years in Egypt. They're crying out to God. God says now it's time. He sends Moses to deliver them. And we have these plagues, right? Pharaoh won't let them go. Let, let my people go that they may worship me. So they get to the 10th and final plague, and it's the angel of death. How do you get protected? The blood of the lamb. Okay, so that takes us all the way back. Got to go further back. Got to go further back. Why, 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 why the blood of the lamb? What, what's happening here? We got to go all the way back to Genesis. What do we see in Genesis? God makes a promise to Adam, and what is his promise? Be obedient and live. But on the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Okay? The wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in yet while we were still sinners Christ died for okay you got formula so God promises death in Genesis there was no death unless you believe in evolution which I do not so there's no death but now he says death is going to come if you disobey so we see what happens in Genesis 3 and we see that there's 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 not physical death immediately not yet but there's a spiritual death right they're cut off from God how do we know Genesis 3, 7, and 8, they're running from God. They're hiding from God. The only one that actually had the answer to their problem, the solution to their, and they're running from him. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. Now they're on the run away from God. And they try to cover. What do they know now? They know that they're naked. So they try to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. And what does God do? It's just a very small portion of Genesis chapter 3, but what does he do? He does something. He sacrifices an animal. And he brings them what? Coverings. That's the first picture of death in the scriptures. 
That's Genesis 3, 21, 22. God sacrifices and brings them a covering. What's the covering pointing to? You will need to be covered. Blood, Leviticus tells us that the life is in what? The blood. Life is in the blood. So blood now is required for the sacrifice. Do you see how it's working? So we now have the sacrifice. So we come out of Genesis. It could, could be a lamb. It seems like it would have been a lamb. They knew right away that, that we had lambs early on. And then we have this promise of this lamb in the Exodus. And then when they come out of Exodus, they go to Mount Sinai, and we have the sacrificial system that's instituted by God. Okay? So you, you tracking with me? Now, let's see, let's see these declarations of deliverance from God in Exodus that leads us to what I want to show you as four cups in the Passover Seder. You, you heard the term. All of us have Jewish friends that, can, that continue to celebrate Passover Seder. Seder means what? Order, procedure. It's a, it's a process that they go through on the Seder. Okay? So we're going to take a look at these delivering statements, and then we'll look at the cups. You ready? Let's take a look. Exodus 6, 6, and 7. I, this is God, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you as a nation. Notice what he doesn't say. I want to bring you out. I want to deliver you. I want to redeem you, and I want to make you a nation. No, he says, I will. This is a promise fixed in the eternal counsel of the triune God. I will do this. So they know the promise. So now for the Passover ceremony, they have four cups that represent these four promises. Four cups on the table. So if you go to a Passover Seder, you will see four cups. They had four cups back in those days as well. And each cup represented one of these delivering statements. I will bring you out as cup number one. I will deliver you as number two. I will redeem you. And then I will take you as a nation, as my people. It's the third cup that we're going to put our attention on in just a moment. But let's look at these four cups, okay? So we can get an understanding of what's going on. These I will passages are what I call fence posts of faith. These were powerful promises. So now we, we go from the promise of God to the picture of God's deliverance. What was the picture at the Passover? Well, you had the lamb, but that's not all. You had the bitter herbs, right, which represented their bitter bondage to slavery. You had the, the bread made without yeast, right, not enough time to let it rise, be dressed and ready to go because when I say it's time, we're coming out. You got to got to eat it in haste. Sandals on, staff in your hand. But over the centuries, the way they did the meal changed. On that first night, they were dressed and ready to be freed, and and they were. So now we have these cups. Okay, it's important we see this so that we can tie in the passage. First cup was a cup of sanctification. Did you know the last six months in slavery? They weren't slaves as far as harsh labor. The labor had ended. Remember the plagues that were going on? There was no harsh labor, man. That place was all messed up because God was messing with them. Pharaoh just wouldn't let them go. So that first cup of sanctification, they say the great prayer, and they open up the dinner, they open up the Passover, and they thank you, oh God, we thank you that you have delivered us from, from, from bondage in Egypt, from this harsh labor. So they'd already been freed six months before they even get out. That's the first cup, sanctification. Number two, the cup of deliverance. This is salvation from servitude. They're free from slavery. Second cup is the cup of deliverance. God set them free. God's powerful hand through Moses set them free. Then the third cup, here's the key. Here's the one we're going to get to in our passage. This is the cup of redemption. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Jesus does something with this cup. I want you to picture four cups. Cup number one, cup number two, cup number three, and cup number four. On the table in front of Jesus. Note this as well. It's diluted, doubly diluted with water. 
Because what, what does the Bible say about drinking? Is it a sin to drink? Say no. It's a sin to be drunk. So they doubly dilute it with water, and they've got these four cups of wine that they're drinking throughout the night. So it's doubly diluted, and, and, and they're going through, remember, wine, right? Joy, the joy of the Lord. It's, 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 it's the opportunity for them to say thank you to God for what he's done, to remember what he's done on their behalf, but yet looking forward to something that never really happened in the exodus from Egypt. They were never freed from their sin. They were never freed from bondage to sin, Satan, and death. They were freed from Egypt, and that was all. So it was just something that pointed to something else, okay? So the third cup is the key cup. That's the cup of redemption. Then finally, the fourth cup is the cup of praise. You know what the, the Hebrew word halal for praise? The halal is the, the, the Psalm 113 to 118. They would chant those. They would sing those. They would say those when they would come together for Jewish feasts, and they would sing, and they would chant, and, and, and say the halal. 113 to 118. This is the fourth cup. So as they passed the fourth cup around, this was the cup of praise. Becoming a nation at Sinai. This is when the people of God became officially the people of God at Sinai where he gives them the law. And what happens also at Sinai? He institutes the sacrificial system. And we have 1,500 years of a sacrificial system leading up to this night before Jesus comes. Okay? You ready? Let's keep moving. Luke 22, 18. Here's something that he says that we've got to unpack just so we can be clear. I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Pause. This is deep. What, what does he just say? What's going to happen to him in a few hours? He's going to die. What does he say? I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What did he just claim in that statement? Now, I'm not going to show you the video from the Terminator this week. I can't do it that often. What did he just say in that passage? I'll be back. We don't even see it unless we slow down. I'm not going to drink it again until. What do you mean, not going to drink it again until? Tomorrow you're going to be dead. No, I'm coming back. And I won't drink it again until what? Until what this Passover points to is actually fulfilled and it will be fulfilled in my death. And then I will drink the fruit of the vine. And where? Where will we have that celebration? Take a look. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 9 and 10. Then the angel said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what your promise is. That's what's coming to all of us. In the new heavens and the new earth, whatever all of that looks like, this is what's coming. And he will participate in the fruit of the vine again. But he makes the promise that I will not do it until this has been fulfilled, which means it's going to be fulfilled through my death and resurrection. I'm coming back. Okay, are we good? We see it all. We see these four cups. Now, number two, something happens. Let's take a look. Why it was passed over. Here we go. 19 and 20. Don't miss this. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, this was never done at Passover. No father of the family took bread, broke it, and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Their bread was unleavened bread. He does something here. It's never been done. Then he goes further. Now, here's the next, here's the cup again. This is the third cup. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This is cup number three. What did cup number three represent? Redemption. Say redemption. This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do you know what he just did? He changed 1,500 years of Jewish religious history. In a few moments, 
<clears throat> now, we don't know how many moments, right? Because it took some time that night. If you go to John, John chapter 13 through 16 are many of his teachings on that night that they're celebrating the meal. So they went from eating it in haste with their sandals on and their staff in their hand to reclining at table and spending hours together talking about what God had done. But now he does something that is, it's, it's, it's epic. He takes the first cup, and he takes the second cup, and he's flowing with the Passover meal. But he gets to the cup of redemption that pointed to God bringing his people out of Egypt, bondage to the Egyptians. And he says, hold on. Take this bread and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, when the supper had ended, he take, so tie the bread. He takes the third cup, third cup of redemption. This cup, it's, this is the cup of my blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which will be poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. He just changed everything. 1,500 years. Lamb after bleeding lamb after bleeding lamb. One in the morning, one at night. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, waiting for Messiah. But the Jewish nation today, many who, who still Orthodox, who are practiced, they now have added a fifth cup. You know what the fifth cup is? Cup of Elijah. And they're waiting for Messiah to come. But we believe, clearly, we believe that Passover has ended. The fulfillment of Passover came in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was that final Passover lamb. His, his, Jesus being the lamb could actually do something that all those other lambs could never do. Okay? So now we have to make sure that we're clear on understanding this. Ready for this? Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. This, this kind of describes it all for us and it makes it very understandable. The writer of Hebrews. The law is a shadow of the good things coming. What was the law designed to do? To save us? No, to point us to a savior. <clears throat> when was the last time you read the law? <clears throat> How you doing with it? Pretty good? No. Right? We're all struggling with the law. What was the law? What does Calvin say about the law? The law was a mirror. You look in the mirror and you see exactly what you are, right? So the law was designed to point you to what? The savior. The law was designed to let you, you can't do this. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough in God's eyes. When good enough isn't good enough. You can't please God that way. So we needed something. So the law is a shadow that's pointing to someone that could actually fulfill it. They're not the realities themselves. Okay? If it could, now, it, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make us perfect. So the sacrifices weren't doing, they weren't making us any better. It was a picture, it was a picture, it was a picture pointing to something that was coming. They were waiting for Messiah, they were waiting for Messiah. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? They would have stopped the sacrificial system if it would have worked. It didn't work. That was the whole point. Do it over and over again until I send you the true Lamb of God. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb came in Jesus. And no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Pause. There it is. Boy, we could camp out there, couldn't we? Now, you want to be careful with that. Right? Your heart should be filled with a godly sorrow when you break the heart of God. Right? You should feel guilty. Right? At, at, 
there should be a level there where I'm, I'm, my heart breaks because I broke God's heart. But you need to be very careful with that. You know how many people I run into who are convinced that they haven't felt guilty enough? And they carry this guilt strap around their necks year after year after year after year. Is that what God wants from you? Once you have confessed your sins and you've turned to God, that guilt should be nailed to the cross. I know people say, I, just, I, just, I, I don't think I feel guilty enough. I've got to keep lashing myself in order to feel guilty. That's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. Jesus took your guilt. Jesus took your sin. Jesus took all of that and he nailed it to a cross. You, you have been set free. Satan wants you to feel guilty about your past. Satan wants you to be locked into your past. What do you need to do with your past? Learn from your past. Don't live there. Get out of that mess. Take the, don't, don't be foolish. Take the lesson. Take the lesson. But live now. Look forward. Lean into your future. Don't live there. There are millions in the church living in the past. I can't break free. Yes, you can. Jesus died to set you free. And the blood of the Lamb is what cleanses you from all unrighteousness. No matter what you've done. Oh, you don't know. I don't need to know. He knows. And he died for it. So be careful about that guilt thing. It messes so many people up. I sit with so many people. Oh, pastor, I'm just... Get over that. He took that away. Your heart should be troubled when you break the heart of God. Yes? It's like when I'm back in the day when I was coaching a lot and, 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 and teaching and working with the kids, right? And sometimes you, you catch one of them doing something wrong, right? You, I got you. Oh, coach, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What are you sorry for? I know what you're sorry for. You're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry because of what you were doing. You're sorry because you got caught. And now the consequences, perhaps. No, you should be sorry because of what you've done. But then what? Get up. Put it behind you. Because Jesus has nailed that to the cross. Your sign of sanctification is not that you feel so guilty. That inside you go, okay, I must, re I must really be getting right with God. Because I have really been overwhelmed for six years with this mess. What's wrong with you people? Jesus died to set us free. He came to set the captives free. Satan wants you locked into your guilt. He wants you locked into your past. Don't do that. Remember, the past is, 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 the past is behind us. The past is over. The future is promised to no one. All you have is what? Now. That's why they call it the present. Live in the present moment. Learn. Live now. And lean in the direction that God is calling. Okay, so we're clear on that portion. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because, here it is, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? Couldn't do it. Couldn't take away sin. So it wasn't going to happen. So 1 Corinthians 5, 7, what do we read? Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Do you see why it was passed over? The true sacrifice has come. Now, theologians have been arguing for <coughs> centuries about what the meaning of, of, of Jesus' death really is, what actually really took place. And if you look in Scripture, you can see a lot of different ways it's explained. It's a ransom, right? For the Son of Man, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and lay his life down as a ransom for many, right? It, 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 it's, a, it's a victory 
Um, it's a victory over, over sin, Satan, and death. He, he was more than a conqueror. We read that in Scripture. But here's what we need to remember. What is the whole Old Testament system telling us? We go all the way back to the garden. God sacrificed. The first aspect of death comes in the Garden of Eden. God sacrificed an animal for Adam and Eve to clothe them. It was a picture of the clothing that would come to be covered by the blood of the lamb. So we know that something has to take place. And what is that? A substitute. You have two choices. You can die for your own sin. So you can reject Jesus. And you die in your own sin. And you're lost. It's over. Or you can have a substitute who will die in your place. It's called substitutionary atonement. And here's what you need to remember. Because some, and, and they try to defend the, 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 the character of God. And they try to do it this way. And they say, well, you know, God just seems like the, this, this, this cosmic, bloodthirsty, ogre kind of a God that, that's happy smiting his son. Listen, listen. We, we, they look at God as this, this, this bloodthirsty God and, and, and Jesus as this innocent victim. Jesus is the sin-hating God himself. And then the eternal counsel of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together and said what? I got to pay. Because they can't. They're going to offend a holy God. Infinite offense that must be paid by what? By me. So I will come. I will take on flesh and I will take their spot. I will die in their place. I will do what they cannot do for themselves so that they can live a life they could never live on their own. That's what I will do. So God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come together and in the eternal counsel of the triune God, Jesus, the blood of the eternal covenant was promised to you. As what? Your substitute. On that cross, he took your nails, your crown of thorns, your spear in the side. The Bible makes it clear. He, what does he fulfill? What does he fulfill that, that weekend? The entire Old Testament ceremonial law. It's over. All of it is fulfilled in him. All of it was pointing to something that would come. They knew that. They knew that. How do we know something almost unimaginable took place? How do we know? Think about it just from your own perspective today. Can you imagine a religious system that was locked into a certain day of the week for 1,500 years? The Sabbath. Sabbath was the seventh final day of the week. Can you imagine a religious system that was locked into a Sabbath 1,500 years? Overnight being changed from the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath has been abrogated, right? We no longer have a Sabbath. We have what? Lord's Day, first day of the week. So they go from the last day of the week to the first. How is that even? Can you imagine something like that happening in a religious system? What happened? Jesus did what he said he did. He said, I won't drink it again until this is fulfilled. I'm coming back. So his death, his burial, and his resurrection did what? Accomplished everything the Old Testament pointed to. What is the entire Bible about? It's not hard to figure out. It's not 66 disjointed books teaching moralistic messages on how to have your best life now. That's not what the Bible is about. It has a single strand of truth that runs through the beginning, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. And what is that? It's God's unfolding plan of redemption that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Yes? That's it. That's what it's all about. And when you look for that, you find it everywhere. And if we, if I, if we ever get to Luke 24, if I live long enough to get there, as it's taken a while... If I don't, you'll have to get someone else to do it with you. But if we get to Luke 24, Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, and what does he say? Oh, foolish and slow of hearts. Right? They've got a couple guys that are really down and dejected because the, the Messiah was crucified. 
He says, did you not understand these things? Did you not read the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, it said all of these things had to happen. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to explain to them all that had to happen to the Messiah. Do you see it? He's on every page. Now, I'm not one of those guys that says that he's, he's behind every rock and up every tree and all that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going there. But the theme of God's unfolding plan of redemption, what is, you know what I used to think when I was a new believer, Genesis 1 and 2? It was my way to argue against evolution. So from a scholarly perspective, you go to Genesis 1 and 2 and you argue against evolution, right? And you're in the beginning God and you work through this. And you work through it from a historical perspective, right? And you, and you argue through this. Not anymore. Mm-mm-mm-mm. No interest in that anymore. You know what Genesis 1 and 2 is? It's the backdrop of God's unfolding plan of redemption. How do we know that? Because Jesus was promised before there was ever any creation. In the eternal counsel of God, Jesus was on the way. Before there was you. Before there was this. Before there was matter, time, and chance. It was already set in place. So what does Genesis 1 and 2 have to be? The way to argue against evolution? Who has time for that? Listen, you have two choices in life. Do you want to believe you, 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 you crawled out of a bubbling cesspool of amino acids 10 billion years ago and you're crawling back in? That's, I'm sorry. You have two choices. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, goo. That's it. That's all you have. There's nothing in between. You can, you, you can put anything else the way that you want, but it's either in the beginning, God, or in the beginning, goo. I got in the beginning, God. And if that's true in the beginning, God, then everything follows after that. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about. we got to go. Proclamation. Ah, do this in remembrance of me. Why would he say that? Jesus, does he waste any words? Can you imagine Jesus wasting any words? No. Children, remember that. Your parents don't waste words. I try to tell my kids, all oh, my words mean something. Listen to me. They meant something. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, he's got words I could never, take me three lifetimes and I could never come up with his words. Listen to these words. On he, if, if, you've never, if you've never Googled his sermon, you can, on the Lord's Supper. It's really worth listening to. Ready for this? Forget him who never forgot us. Forget him who poured forth his blood for our sins. Forget him who loved us even to death. Can it be possible? Yes, it is not only possible, but conscience confesses that it is too sadly a fault of all of us that we can remember anything except Christ. Isn't that true? I mean, that's just, that's, so he says what? Remember, remember, remember. How do we close? Three words to close with. This is key. Inspection, perfection, and redemption. Ready for inspection? And you'll see how it all ties together for Passover. Under inspection, on the 10th of Nisan, the lamb was selected and inspected for the sacrifice. Remember we read in the passage in Exodus on the 14th day you would sacrifice? You chose the lamb on the 10th day. So you had the lamb on the 10th, 11th, the 12th, 13th, and on the 14th you sacrifice it. Why did you have the lamb for those five days? To inspect the lamb. Oh, does Jesus fulfill that? Sure he does. Remember for the last couple of years he's not coming to the temple because they're trying to kill him. So he's on the outskirts and he's traveling all around. Now on the final week he comes into Jerusalem and what does he do? Where does he go, Where does he go when he comes into Jerusalem? He cleanses the temple. For what reason? To be inspected. Take a look. Don't miss this. Every, they come to arrest him in the garden. Every day I was with you in the temple courts. I was there for you to inspect me. You know how, it has to, you know how the lamb needs to be inspected, don't you? You do know how all this works. 1,500 years of Jewish history. I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. You do know this. And you did not lay a hand on me. So he, fulf- he fulfills the law. 
the law of inspection. Five days. Perfection. Unblemished? Sure. Take a lamb without defect. No broken bone? Do not break any of the bones. What happens on the cross? He's dead before the soldiers can break the bones of his legs. Take a look. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break any of his legs. Why? They couldn't break him. The scripture said there'd be no broken bones. God's word will not return void. And then here's a better one. I, I like this one even better than that. Watch. Luke 23, 4. Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against him. How would you like to go down in history as the man who condemned an innocent man to die? That's what he does. He says, I find no, listen, this is a pagan. Pagan Pilate finds no basis for a charge. Scourges him and hands him over to be crucified. Unblemished. Perfect. Finally, from inspection to perfection, we hit redemption. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Take a look at these three things. When the Egyptians had the people of God, this is what the picture was being in Egypt. The world, Egypt, was a type of world. Remember John says what? 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of this world. So Egypt was a picture. Why is Egypt a picture of the world? Anytime you read in scriptures that people are going to Egypt, how do they go to Egypt? Say down. Down into Egypt. Down is, 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 is it's symbolic. Down is Sheol, the grave, death, hell. So the picture of Egypt, always going down into Egypt, is a picture of what? Uh, a type of the world. So they're redeemed from the type of the world for the people of God coming out of Egypt. The flesh, servitude, a type of sin. Remember Romans 6, we're slaves to sin. So we have the world, the flesh, and then we have the devil. How do we have the devil in Pharaoh? How is he a type of Satan? Remember what Pharaoh said? He didn't want to let God's people go to worship him. What does Satan say to Jesus in the wilderness experience? Worship me. Don't worship God. Worship me, and I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. So Pharaoh is a type of Satan. He won't let God's people go to worship God. So we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. What happens when Jesus shows up? Conquers the whole thing. Ready? 1 John 3, 8. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. There it is. The world, the flesh, and the devil were destroyed by the true Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's the promise. On the night he was betrayed, he institutes the Lord's Supper to move forward for us to remember until he returns. Passover is over. It has been passed over by the true Lamb of God who came. So now, final point. Jesus. Nailed. Crushed. Resurrected. Believe the beginning of the Bible that God created the heavens and the earth? Believe God's creating the new heavens and the new earth? Did you know that there's one thing that we created? In heaven. Today. It's there and it exists. You know what it is? Take a look. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. That's our work. Those are our nail prints. Those are our scars from the crown of thorns. We created that. Sure, it was God who put him to death by divine appointment, but that's what we did. That's what our sin cost him. So he bears those marks on his body today. So with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ has come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Will you come? If you've never surrendered control to Christ, this is a moment of salvation. Tomorrow it may be too late. Come to Christ. Come now. All who are weary and heavy laden, and Jesus says, I will give you rest. Is there anybody here who doesn't need rest? We need rest from our self-salvation project. We need rest in Christ. Come to Christ. If you've never prayed, we're going to pray together in a moment, okay? Trust in Christ.
He's the true Passover lamb. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here who has never surrendered control to Christ, give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. Father, we thank you right now. The power of the gospel, it is the power of salvation for all those who trust in Christ alone. Father, we ask now that you would give the gift of repentance and faith. You would raise anyone here who has never surrendered control to Christ from death to life. If that's you right now and you hear Christ speaking to your heart through me, say these words. It's a simple prayer. The tax collector said it. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, and salvation is yours this day. And Father, for the rest, help us all to walk by faith and not by sight, trusting that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. And all this we ask in Christ's name, amen. Would you all stand with us? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the
Team. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's take that message out and tell them. Tell them with a heart that breaks. Tell them through a veil of tears. Tell them that Christ came as a substitute and a sacrifice to take away our sin that we might have eternal life. Setting the captives free from sin, Satan, death, guilt, all of that to live a life that is pleasing to God and beneficial to us and all those we come in contact with. Receive now the benediction of our God. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. If you're a visitor, listen to Margot and Garrick. Go in